0: Faith is mysterious. You can't see faith, but you can see it working. You can't touch faith, but you can feel its power. It is the certainty of things unseen. It is the hope that one day our dreams will become reality. Faith is born in the unknown and yet matured through trials and tests. It connects us. It inspires us. It reminds us that we are not aimlessly walking through this life. Our faith is grounded in the God who gave it to us. The substance of our faith is the one who moves mountains, who calms storms, who lays down his life for us. Without him, our faith is empty. Without him, faith would be just a dream. Without him, we would never leave the ground and soar on wings like eagles. Faith is mysterious. It is the certainty of things unseen. It is the hope that one day our dreams Will become reality.
1: If you're glad for the mystery of faith, let me hear your hands this morning. I think every now and then it's good to give a shout out, give honor to whom honor is due. And I got a text message this week that is becoming more and more common. I just wanted to share with you. Said, just a word, my folks have been listening to your sermons in Minnesota for a while due to being housebound while taking care of a family member with dementia. I'm grateful for your Berean technical team that makes makes the service accessible to them visually. Those are becoming more and more common, and I think our tech team is doing a phenomenal job, and they don't get enough uh, pats on the back. So would you just give them a pat on the back? They do a great job, and uh, some people prefer us online. I remember uh, an a, uh, 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 what would I call it, a, a revival meeting or whatever with Lowell Lundstrom, and we were out in the park, and he made this comment to the crowd, most people would rather watch me on television than hear me in person because they can control my volume and my duration. <laughs> so glad you're here, glad you're here. Well, this morning is National Yellow Pig Day. And what an amazing church we have. We just happen to have a yellow pig in Filling Station. I don't know, actually it started out pink, but now it's yellow. And so Barry, I want you to come up here. Would you be my prop this morning? And I just want them, I'd want everyone to have a visual this morning of National Yellow Pig Day. This is actually a hat. And could you just put it on? And I want you to celebrate, turn around and face the crowd. And this is National Yellow Pig Day. National Yellow Pig Day. Yeah, thank you. I was going to use Gary. He suggested I use Gary, but I knew what Gary would do with this, and I needed, and I it for second service. So <laughs> National Yellow Pig Day. Now, I'm curious about a lot of things, but in specific, uh, one of the articles I read about National Yellow Pig Day said that this is commonly celebrated among teachers and academicians. So other than the staff, does anyone know what National Yellow Pig Day is? It's supposed to be on the academic calendar. Teachers get excited about this. I'm just curious. Anybody ever heard of National Yellow Pig Day? Raise your hand if you have, other than if you heard me talking about it during the week. Nobody. I'm crushed. So disappointed. Uh, Not Honestly, I'd never heard of it either. What is National Yellow Pig Day? you ready for this? This is going to change your life. National Yellow Pig Day is a celebration of the number 17. You see the connection? I don't either. I don't either. So I had to do a little bit more research on that. And in the 60s, which explains everything, (laughs) I heard one rock musician say, um, there are a lot of things you remember, a lot of things I don't. He said, I don't remember the 60s. Some of you will relate to that. In the 60s, students Michael Spivak and David Kelly were studying at Princeton. They spent a lot of time considering the qualities of the number 17 and became obsessed with the incredible combination of simplicity and complexity that was recurrent in mathematics around the number 17. Now, I read a long article about that and I won't bore you with that, half of it I didn't understand anyway, but to give you an idea of what captured their imagination. 17 is a prime number and it is the sum of the first four prime numbers. 17 is the minimum number of givens in a Sudoku puzzle in order for it to have a solution that is unique. Seventeen is the smallest number that can be written as the sum of a cube and a square two different ways. How many are glad you came today? (laughs) Seventeen is an unlucky number. In Roman numerals, seventeen is written as XVII, which is an anagram of VIXI, which means in Italian, my life is over. 17 is either the most random or the least random number. In a study which respondents were asked to pick a random number between 1 and 20, 17 was the number that was selected the most. So does that make it the most random because people decided it was the most random? Or is it then the least random because most people picked it? I don't know. So their obsession grew with a desire to celebrate the number 17 with its own special day, and they knew they needed a mascot. So in the 60s at Princeton, they decided that the mascot for National 17 Day would be a yellow pig. No explanation beyond that. I'm going to blame that on weed, but I don't know that. (laughs) I don't know that. And then the yellow pig morphed to having 17 teeth, 17 toes, 17 eyes, and they created this monster that is no longer seen today. So from its beginnings, yellow pig day has become a huge hit in the academic calendar, as you can see from the number of students and teachers that are fully aware of what it is. Classes sing. I'm not making this up. I looked it up. I was going to read one to you and sing it. But classes sing yellow pig carols, they share yellow pig cake, they play board games based around the number 17, and some people even create origami yellow pigs. I found a video and almost played that, how to make your own origami yellow pig, and yellow pig t-shirts to wear with pride. Some people need a life. (laughs) National Yellow Pig Day. So why are we talking about this morning? I I I I'm still working on that one, right? So, but in reality, there were two words that jumped out at me that I think capture the heart of the gospel. What attracted their attention? The simplicity and the complexity of the number 17. The simplicity and the complexity. And I really feel like, felt like God spoke to my heart, that that in essence describes the gospel that we believe, the scriptures that we read, the faith that we walk in, is at the same time both simple and complex. And I want us to explore that a little bit more with the challenge that we will go on in our faith from where we are today. You have more in God that God wants you to experience than you have now. And I enjoy our worship times, I enjoy what happens here, I love our church, but I'm telling you that God wants to do more here than is currently taking place. There are more manifestations of the Spirit, there's more response to the move of God, that we need to, we need to go a little deeper in the water, and I want to call you to that this morning. One commentator wrote, Christians are comfortable with simplicity, complexity, and mystery, We don't have all the answers, but we serve a God who does. Christian faith is marked by simplicity, complexity, and mystery. So first of all, I want you to think with me about the simplicity of faith, the simplicity of our faith experience. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 35. A highway shall be there, and a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. This mark of faith says that this road, this highway of holiness, will be built in such a way that even a fool need not lose their way in their walk of faith. And that's a tremendous promise for most of us that you don't have to be a genius, you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to have advanced degrees. All you have to have is the desire to walk the highway of faith, the highway of holiness, and God will make sure that you not lose your way or lose your direction. Now, I do, in fairness, want to give you the context of the verse in eschatological dimensions. We are talking about a prophecy in Isaiah 35 that deals with the millennial kingdom. And what you have to understand when it comes to Old Testament prophecy, to give myself a good foundation, is that there are three ways that Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. Number one, they're fulfilled historically. Almost every Old Testament prophecy has a fulfillment in regard to the nation of Israel. And when you read what's written in Isaiah 35... It says, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return to Zion with singing. Talks about this captivity that's being released. And we know that that took place. That it was a promise that Israel held to historically that they would be brought back to their homeland. And we see that even fulfilled in our history of the United States in 1948 when Israel became a nation again there's also a future fulfillment in almost every Old Testament Jewish prophecy. And in this case, it's a millennial prophecy. And you read about the trees, and you read about all that's described in the Old Testament, and you can see clearly that he's not just prophesying about the return of Israel to their promised land, but a day when Jesus Christ will rule on the earth a thousand literal years that he will rule on this planet, that is one of our fundamental truths, that is one of the things that we stand for, that is one of the things that shapes us, a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And at that time, the redeemed shall return to the city of God that will be hovering over the planet earth in the the new Jerusalem and all that's described in that. So what I'm saying to you is there's a historical fulfillment, there is the future fulfillment, and where I want to take you today is a spiritual fulfillment. Now, why would I take time to do that? Because I am tired of listening to people take verses out of context and stick that to their chest as though it's theirs to own. We need to understand the context. It is a historical prophecy to Israel. It is a future prophecy of the millennium. But we're shown in the New Testament that when Jesus came and poured out his spirit and we're seated in heavenly places in Christ, that there becomes also a spiritual fulfillment of millennial blessings in the life of the people of God. How many are hearing me this morning? And it's that piece that I want us to focus on. What does that mean? It means that there is a place, a highway of holiness. How many know that you can't get to heaven without walking the narrow road? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in that day, and he will say, I never knew you. The unclean can't walk this road. Those that hate God can't walk this road. People who have sin and ungodliness and unforgiveness in their life can't walk this road. But the clean can and the requirement is when you give your life to Jesus and he makes you clean, you know what comes with that? Joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. What comes with that? Sorrow and tears wiped away. We no longer sorrow as we once did. We know that weeping may endure for the but joy, come on, someone help me this morning. Joy comes in the morning, and there is a highway of holiness. And thank God, you don't have to be a genius theologian to make it to heaven. Just get your feet on the highway of holiness and start walking that road and listen to the Spirit of God change you and direct you and shape you and correct you. That even though the world may call you a fool, once you meet him and discover the highway, you can walk on that all the way to heaven it's a present-day principle fools need not go astray so what does that mean why did the why did Jesus say there's a narrow way and few there be that find it it doesn't mean they can't find it because it's narrow it means they can't find it because they don't want to walk holy it doesn't have to do with it being hidden it has to do with the requirements Now, just to make that abundantly clear, I've talked to numerous people who say they don't want to become a Christ follower because they have to give up things. And here's what I've said and will say to you today. You don't have to give up anything to come to Jesus. But when you come to him and if you receive him, everything changes from the inside out. And you won't be giving up anything. You'll be throwing out the garbage. Because everything about your life begins to change. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at what I'm reading in social media. <laughs> Not really. But a young lady that I know well, that in a previous passage grew up under our ministry, And she posted, I used to be pro-life, and I was raised pro-life, but now I am pro-choice because it isn't right that if an 11-year-old girl gets pregnant, that we force her to have the baby. Now, I just want to be, I just want to be frank, that's someone who doesn't want to walk in righteousness because that's not the argument. That's not the argument. How many 11-year-olds conceive during rape? How many rapes result in a pregnancy? And should there be exceptions for the life of the mother? Yes, I believe that all of those things are fair for discussion. But you make a jump from one to the other when you no longer want to walk the highway of holiness. Are you hearing me this morning? You'll find an excuse You'll find some obscure argument. You'll find some little thing that will give you reason to not walk there. That's why few there be that find it. Because they'd rather walk the broad road of their self-intellect and self-information and their own wisdom. But there is, come on, I said there is a highway. It's a highway of holiness. And you can be a fool and not err therein because the way is straight. And it is clear. And it is simple. We live and believe in a simple faith. We used to call it the simple gospel, and I know I've told this story before, but it's one that really resonated with me. And I want you to hear this: there are a lot of people that don't know the simple message of the gospel. I was preaching in um, in Ames early in ministry there, and I used the phrase somehow in the message: simple gospel. And a young man came into my office afterwards, he was a big guy, taller, bigger uh, than I am for sure, and he said, can I talk to you a minute? And I said, yeah, let's talk. And he said, I've never heard the term, the simple gospel. What is the simple gospel? And I said, well, the simple gospel is that um, Jesus came, died on the cross, and he said, who is Jesus? Jesus. He'd grown up in Boone, Iowa, lived in the Midwest, and he said to me, does it have something to do with that woman statue in the, up, in the standing up bathtub? And I said, no, here's a simple gospel. And I felt like he needed more of a context. I said, God created mankind to live in a beautiful garden. And man rebelled against God's guidelines. And because of that, God kicked out of the garden. And then when he got kicked out of the garden, God began a plan of redemption. And God sent his son. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God sent his son to die on the cross and pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to demonstrate that our failures, our sins were forgiven. Then he ascended to the Father and is ever living to make intercession for us. And you can have new life in Christ if you want it. The simple gospel is to believe that you, to admit that you have need to believe that he died and rose from the dead and confess him as Lord. Is that something that you want? He said, I've never heard that in my life. Yes, it's what I want. He was in his early 20s newly married. I led him to Jesus. He stood up, tears running down his face, grabbed me in a bear hug. I thought I was going to die. Lifted me off the ground. He was so excited because you don't have to have a theology degree. You just have to meet Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. I was reading in the Bible, in the book of Acts, about a jailer in Philippi. There was an earthquake. Prisoners are set free. And he cries out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he didn't mean for, by that to be born again. He meant how can I be delivered or rescued? Because if these, sold, if these uh, uh, prisoners all escape, they're going to take my life. I will pay with my life for their escape. How can I be saved? And I've preached that he called for a light, the Bible says. And then Paul began to show him the light <laughs> and told him about Jesus. And he said this. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be rescued and your entire household. It's a simple message. Come on. It's a simple message. That day, the jailer believed, and he and his household were baptized as a family came into the kingdom because the heart of the gospel is believe on Jesus. Put your faith and confidence. I read in chapter eight in the book of Acts about an Ethiopian uh, treasurer, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch that's traveling uh, down a desert road and God sent Philip to him and it just happened when he got there, he was reading in the prophet Isaiah about the the suffering uh, savior of the world and he says, who is he talking about? And Philip begins to share with him the truth of the good news. There comes a moment, they come by a body of water and this Ethiopian who has influence over all of Ethiopia says to him, what hinders me from being baptized? And what did Philip say? You have to take a class. You need to, you need to quit doing this list of things and join our new movement. He just said, if you believe with all of your heart, you can be baptized. Are you hearing me? I said it is a simple gospel if you'll simply believe and put your confidence in Jesus. Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit falls, tongues of fire, the sound of wind, and you hear this You hear this discussion going on and Peter's preaching to them about how they crucified the Lord of glory and all of the responsibility that would come on their head and the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls on them. And, And they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remissions of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the message? Repent. Believe. Be baptized. It's a simple story for us to grab hold of. I've called it again and again the ABCs of salvation that you need in Romans chapter 10 to simply admit that you're a sinner that you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead, and then you need to confess him as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. And if you've not done that, this would be a great day for you to do that, and you can let us know. Uh, send us a card, text us, email our chat line on our website. We want to connect with you, but is that simple. Admit, believe, and confess, because Romans 10, 13 declares... Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The thief on the cross didn't even have to have all of his theology explained, he simply said, Remember me. Oh, but you can't. You can't go to heaven with a prayer like that. Jesus said you could. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Come on, church. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. It's a simple message. Jesus gives life, and we need to communicate that to a world around us. It's a simple gospel message. But that's not all there is for us who are children of God. I want you to consider the complexity of the Word of God, the complexity of Scripture. For us who have become followers of Christ, it's not enough to sit in the chair of simplicity, you need to progress to the walk of complexity. <laughs> There's more to be understood. Uh, Well, uh, what would you use for that? Think about this. Psalm chapter one, verse two. Blessed is the man, one and two. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God And in his law, does he meditate day and night? Just pause there for a moment. What is there in your life that you can meditate on day and night? I don't know what's important to you. Maybe you have a hobby that you meditate on much of the time but can you meditate on it day and night? We had an experience, maybe you're a fisherman, and I'm learning more about fishing. Used to fish a lot as a kid, and so we had a day, took my grandson's fishing, and we're fishing in a river. And how many know that you fish different in a river than fishing in a pond, and you fish different in a pond than you do in my aquarium? How many know those are different? Those are different. So we're doing, I'm trying to fish the pools on the edge of the river. Two older grandsons are casting out into the stream and my youngest grandson has this kiddie pole with a bobber and a hook and he flicks it out there. That's not how you fish a river. But he's the only one that caught fish. (laughs) He caught two catfish, little ones, and they looked at us and he said, I'm ready to go. Don't know what's wrong with all of you, but this isn't hard stuff. And some of you that fish may think about it a lot. Some of you that hunt may think about it a lot. Some of you that are in cars may think about it a lot. Some of you that are cooks may think about that a lot. But I don't know of anything you can meditate on day and night. And David is saying, when I look at the word of God, I can begin to meditate on it in the morning. I can meditate on it in the afternoon. I can meditate on it in the evening. I can meditate on it when I go to bed and I can get up in the morning, and I can meditate on it in the morning. Come on. I can meditate on it at noon. I can meditate on it in the evening. I can meditate on it when I go to bed. And when I get up in the morning, and I can repeat that seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when that year is past, I've not plunged the depths. I've not discovered all that there is. I can meditate on it day and night and be joyful and delight because the depths have not yet been plunged by any of us I have been preaching this gospel once a week as a youth pastor then three times a week when I was a senior pastor and I've been in ministry a while And I've been through scripture here and there and outlined and preached and exegeted and studied and read commentaries. And often, in prepping for a message, I'll read four or five commentaries. I'll read seven or eight different translations. And I try to immerse myself in that. And I'm just going to tell you what I know. It doesn't matter how many times I've read or preached a text, if I meditate on it in the morning, if I meditate on it in the evening, evening. If I meditate on it the next morning, there'll be something new and fresh and alive that will rise up out of that book because it is the most complex book that's ever been written. Written by over 40 authors without any contradiction filled with prophecies that have never failed. Life principles that have never fallen short. You can read it again and again and again. Take this afternoon and just soak in John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life do it again and see what happens because there's a depth it is living it is alive it endures forever it's the foundation of everything about us it's the most complex book ever written that is th- that is in the hands of fools who walk on the highway of holiness complexity, the complexity and depth of the word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. I, um, I This is going to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. And I'm really not. You have to listen to me all the way through. I know that anything I preach can and you will be used against me in the court of Facebook. <laughs> because I've discovered that people don't always listen. How many are listening right now? Listen to me carefully. I am not a slouch when it comes to academic preparation. I will put my preparation and my intellectual academic skills up against anybody's. Now stay with me because I'm not bragging or boasting. There's not a boast in that. I just want you to know I work hard at it and I've committed myself to it and I've sharpened my skills for over 40 years or something like that. That wasn't supposed to come out. And sometimes I hit a passage of scripture, and I don't know what it means. So what do I do? (laughs) If it's Greek, I'll go to the Greek language and try to parse the verb and look at the depth of meaning. And you can't just go to a lexicon to do that. You have to have an understanding of the Greek language. If it's Hebrew, I'll do the same using other commentators. I'll read other commentaries and try to find a solution but let me tell you something that has never failed. Are you ready? I've found that if I really want to understand his word, is I bring it in here, and I leave my commentaries and my lexicons and all of that on my desk, and I just say, Jesus, open your word to me. Open your word to me. And begin to pray in tongues, begin to meditate on the word and and without fail i've discovered that he will make his word come alive and show me truths that I have never imagined that can't be found in a lexicon or in a commentary. Now, if it's contrary to everything I've read, then I've imagined it. But the greatest joy of my life is when I've heard from God and find it supported by study. And I'm not bragging about my abilities. I'm just talking to you about what I do and telling you that it doesn't matter whether you're skilled or not skilled. It doesn't matter what training you've had or not had because we have a teacher called the Holy Spirit and if you will take time to listen to him and walk with him and begin to explore the complexity of the word he will talk to you and he will explain the word that Jesus gave us are you hearing what I'm saying I'm telling you that the answer isn't found By intellectual gymnastics, it's found in spiritual submission to God and listening to the voice of the Spirit. Hope that made sense. Study to handle the Word of God right. Here is what we're told in Hebrews chapter 5. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Yes, there are simple, basic gospel truths that are available to anyone who will come to a place of faith, but there are deeper things in the word of God that we need to seek out, including discerning good from evil. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. (laughs) I'm sorry for this. I just don't know any other way to illustrate this that's more effective. But I remember hearing an old preacher say, I don't mind having to feed baby Christians with a bottle but when you have to part the whiskers to get the bottle in, it's time they grow up. It's time they grow up. It's time they grow up. And if you're still sitting there sucking on your pacifier, saint of God, it's time for you to grow up and dig a little deeper and get a little bit for yourself and find out the majesty of the word of God. If you're chafing at reading it, I don't understand it, then meditate on it. And I'll tell you what'll happen. You sit somewhere long enough, you're going to see a miracle. You're going to see something like you've never seen before as it comes alive on the inside of you. And all of a sudden, instead of it being a challenge or chafing or a problem or difficulty, we deal with Junior Bible quiz and teen Bible quizzers. And they, you know, they struggle. I don't know if I want to do this. Our hope is somewhere along the line, something's going to settle in and catch a little bit of flame and they're going to see something brand new and then they're going to be hooked till the day they die because there's something powerful about having the Holy Spirit make his word come alongside you. And I don't care how much you quote. I don't care how much you've read. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you've done. There's more in the word of God for you to understand and claim and make your own. Put your foot down, walk through the pages, up and down the corridors of Revelation and see what God will do in the gloriousness of the word of God. Spend time in the word. It's complex. You can meditate on it day and night and never run dry. It's living, it's powerful, it's a lifeline to us. It will give a lifetime of pursuit to truth and it will accomplish everything God sends it to do. It's a simple faith with a complex book serving, third, a mysterious God. The mystery of God. (laughs) I am not, after all that I said, Let me come back to earth and tell you, I have no illusion that I have the capability in earthly language to communicate to you the revelation that I want you to see. And by the way, because I know it'll come back around, I do not believe I'm the smartest person on the planet. I do not believe I'm the highest academician. I don't believe any of that. I'm just saying to you, however hard you work at it, you need divine revelation. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Because we serve a God of mystery. Isn't that wonderful? A God of mystery. I remember when Carol and I were in Bible college, Jack Sanders was one of our professors. and. Jack Sanders was a unique bucket of bolts. I'm just telling you, he was a different kind of character. And in one of our classes, just to give you an idea, when we were complaining we had to be up too late or we had to work too hard or there's too much homework, he went to a corner of the room and he said, let me tell you how you can sleep while you're standing up and get more work done. That's the kind of mindset he had. Not a healthy one, but it's one that was presented. And here's what happened in class. Someone would ask a question, and for us, it seemed like it was really deep, like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You know, something really profound. And I'll never forget the first time he'd look at us and he'd say the answer is in the Bible. He'd walk up to the chalkboard. Does anybody remember chalkboards? Anybody remember chalkboards? He'd walk up to the chalkboard and he'd write Deuteronomy 29.29. There's your answer. We couldn't wait to get out of class and look that up. And then we're profoundly disappointed when we did because it says the secret things belong to the God who gave them. Listen, (laughs) if you think that you can understand everything there is about God, you are not that big. You ever watch those contests where someone takes a balloon and they blow it and they blow it and blow it and there's a race to see who can blow it up until it pops? However big the balloon, there's a limit to what it can hold. And you're that balloon with an unlimited air source that's blowing inside of you. You can't contain him. You can't control him. When they were talking about the temple and place where God dwells and the response was, do you think you can build a house so big that it can contain God? Do you think and I'm adding to that, that you have a brain so big that you can figure him out? The lesser can never contain the greater. It's the greater that brings revelation to the lesser and I heard something a number of years ago people say well the universe is so big there's got to be life on other planets it is so big it's a waste that's because you don't see it right the universe was not created to contain man it is the house of God and when you see how big God is the universe is a declaration that nothing can contain him that's how mark marvelous, and wonderful, and, and beyond understanding our God is. I had a conversation with a man recently who said, why did God make us the way we are? Why didn't he just take away our free will and make us behave, make us do the things that he wants, It'd be so much simpler, and it makes so much more sense truth is, he has a plan that has not yet been fully revealed to us. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And shall the thing created say to the creator, why have you made me thus? What kind of arrogance does that take? You are not the potter. You're the pottery. You're not the artist, you're the piece of artwork. It's not your job to make him explain, it's your job to understand that you can't contain him. He's bigger than anything we could imagine. Paul cries out in Romans chapter 11. And if you just read it, Paul's riding along. And then he says some things about Israel and the glory of God. And then it's like he just, with his pen, breaks into this this praise break moment when he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, so if you take out the chapter verses and the chapter divisions and you read this about the glory of God, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you brothers to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God not because it's your work but when you see how big he is what other response can we say but God I'm yours I'm on your altar I'm your sacrifice use me as you will our God isn't big enough for most of us we've tried to bring him down to our level and contain him but we need to see him in his glory and grandeur just how big he is Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, but now has been revealed by the Spirit of uh, to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, shares together in the promise of God. You don't have to understand it. It's not for you to know. He's not looking for your approval. He wants you to see him, how grand and glorious he is. And I'm so thankful that there's some things about God that I can't get my brain around, that I can't understand. I'm telling you, I short circuit when I begin to think about eternity. I can figure out eternity future, but I can't figure out eternity past. And smoke will start coming out of my ears because if there was no beginning, how did we get to here? If there was no start, how did we arrive in this place? I don't know, but it makes me dance and rejoice that He's so much bigger than I am. I'm so small that I can't even get my brain wrapped around eternity. I can't wrap my brain around the trinity. How can three be one? We're not tritheists believing in three gods sitting around a table. Table. We're not unitheists uh, who believe that there is one God in three personalities but somehow indescribable, in beyond understanding that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in one indissoluble union that's beyond our comprehension and every example that you have falls short what about the egg, the shell, the skin or the, the shell, the white and the yolk? no that doesn't work what about water and ice and, and steam and rain no that doesn't work, they all fall short, he is beyond our understanding, can you just accept that, he is that big he's mysterious I don't get him, but I love him and I'm going to serve him it's the mystery of God. Do you know that there's a... <laughs> I'm trying to stop. But there's a move today among young evangelical Pentecostals away from the Pentecostal church back to the liturgical church. And I'm convinced in the study of done there's a primary reason. It's because they're tired of going to evangelical Pentecostal churches have reduced God to a formula and they're hungry for the mystery and they're going back to some of the old historic expressions of faith that didn't try to um, define him but rather stood in awe why do we think we have to have an answer for everything why do we think that it all has to be okay why do we think we have to have it all figured out God is that much bigger. Paul said to the church in Philippians that I may know him. That's our pursuit. You'll spend your whole life plunging the depths of the knowledge of God. When we pray in tongues, in tongues we speak mysteries. That's why tongues is so important. God is so big that you can't understand him and he's given you a tool that you can begin to speak in a language where he speaks and it's a language you can't understand and praying in an unknown tongue, an unknown language gives you the ability to speak the mysteries of God. He is big. Come on, I said he's big. That I may know him. The Bible talks about the mystery of God, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of Babylon, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the seven stars, the mystery of the redemption of Israel, the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of his will, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ in the church, the mystery of Christ himself. There are mysteries to not be figured out, but to stand in awe before, awe and wonder. There are deeper things for you to experience in God. We need to share the simple message of the gospel with a lost and dying world. To do that, we need to soak in the depths of the word of God. And if we soak in the depths of the word of God, we will see the mysterious God in all of his glory. Isaiah prophesied, I'm sorry, Ezekiel prophesies this, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple toward the east. A river was flowing out from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward, east, eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me into water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and he led me through water that was waist deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. I'm saying, will you join me in the river? We keep, quit splashing around in the wading pool of faith and decide I'm gonna go beyond knee, ankle deep. I'm gonna go beyond knee deep. I'm gonna go beyond waist deep. I'm gonna get in on that water that I can swim in that no one can pass over. I wanna experience more of the simplicity, the complexity and the mystery of God in the river he's called us to swim in. I want more of that. I want less of what I can define and more of what I don't understand to be revealed to me in my relationship to God. Would you stand with me and ask God as we worship to just give you a revelation of his mystery so that we can live in the complexity and take simplicity to a world that's in need.
2: Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on the cross Accused in absence of a wrong My sin washed away in your blood Too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my To live. mercy my heart now to-
1: That by your spirit, you would do a work among us today. That we would let go of our perceived right to define and understand. And we'd be hungry for the mystery of God to see you high and lifted up beyond our ability to contain. In Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, Amen, amen, amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. So my appeal to you is, will you get out of the waiting pool and join me in the deep end? <laughs> you might drown, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your faithful giving, your faithful financial support. Appreciate everything you do. So God bless you. Have some ice cream and an entree. And get take some time to get to meet someone you haven't normally spent some time talking to.